everyone happy monday morning to you here as we get started into our week book of jude you like that book do you fran well it's a short little book one chapter so i can't tell you uh to uh, you know turn to the second chapter because there is only one chapter here uh, in the book of jude uh, that is it so that's all we can look at is chapter one. So um, that's where we're going to be turning. Hopefully you had a great weekend. Uh, we had a, a decent weekend, a very busy weekend, not, not necessarily a restful weekend by any stretch of the imagination, nor did some of you that we uh, had the occasion to spend a little bit of time with over the weekend. Uh, it was a busy, busy weekend, but I think uh, all around probably a very good weekend for for you, and I um, hope that it was 
a good weekend. And yes, Fran saying uh, grandpa to Don. Yes, absolutely. New grandson born on 16th. Whatever day that was. I've lost track of the dates. Uh, and I do remember that's it's a little bit back there uh, last week. But yes, exciting stuff for the grandpa. Uh, I thought maybe you were saying grandpa to Steve uh, Hopkins uh, for some strange reason. But uh, yes, certainly fits uh, saying happy. Uh, congratulations to uh, our uh, Don Rigby, who helps us to manage what we do here uh, on these pages. And very, very much appreciated what he does. We're going to get into the book of Jude uh, and consider uh, what we find written here. Several men that were named Jude in the uh, in the New Testament. Jude, Judas, Judah. It, it is a Jude is a derivative of Judah, uh, like you would have the name Jim as a derivative of James. Sam is a derivative of Samuel. Uh, Don is a derivative of uh, Donald, and uh, Fran is a derivative of Francis. Uh, I think that's right. Sorry. Uh, Steve is a derivative of Stephen. You get the point. Uh, the, the derivatives of names that we have, Jude, is one of those derivatives. Uh, and, and we hear about three different Judes in the New Testament. Uh, one Jude is Judas Iscariot, the one that we see referenced, the one who betrayed our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. We see him in the New Testament, uh, Acts uh, chapter 1, the one who had taken his life, um, John 14. Other references, um, sorry, I, I'm looking at the wrong passages, uh, Luke 6. And Matthew 27, I jumped down a, a, a Judas in my list here. But Judas Iscariot betrayed the Lord Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver. Probably was the treasurer of the group, interestingly. And uh, he's the one that would end up betraying the Lord for the 30 pieces of silver. Later hanged himself, uh, Matthew 27, verses 4 and 5. So there's Judas Iscariot, of whom we know. Uh, there is Judas, the apostle, identified in the Gospels as not Iscariot. He's the one you'd read about in John 14 in Acts chapter 1. So there were two Judases among those uh, those early followers, those early apostles, uh, together with Jesus. And then there's Jude, this particular Jude. This Jude is a half-brother of Jesus. Uh, he and James, there's Jude and James, who were two brothers. Uh, this particular James was the leader of the church in the first century in, in Jerusalem. Um, this Jude would be the son of Mary and Joseph, James and Jude, and the other brothers and sistren were uh, born of Mary and Joseph, Jesus being a half-brother because Joseph was not his biological father. Uh, the Holy Spirit himself was the biological father of Jesus, and that's why we would say that James, who wrote the book of James, uh, and um, Jude uh, are half-brothers because of that reality. 
Um, this is the Jude who has the book by his name. He identifies himself in verse 1 as the servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, it's interesting. Neither James nor um, Jude mentioned the fact that they are the half-brother of Jesus. They could have said, uh, he could have said Jude, a half-brother of Jesus. Uh, he could have said Jude, who grew up with Jesus. He could have said any number of things about the family connection, but he didn't. And I think it's notable that he didn't. Sometimes we we do. We want to lean into uh, familial uh, connectivity, familiar connections. Well, I'm related to so-and-so. Uh, or sometimes we want to lean back on, well, I went to such and such a school or whatever might be in our pedigree that we might find a sense of pride in. Now, it's not necessarily wrong to have a, a, within yourself a sense of pride, but when we begin blowing our horn, like I, I grew up with Jesus, uh, or Mary was my mama too, uh, or those types of things, it, it shows a lack of humility. It shows a sense of pride, uh, both then which will diminish the, the sense of value of what we have to say. Uh, so for us, even, even in the way that Jude identifies himself, coming out of the gate in verse 1 of Jude chapter 1, he identifies himself in such a way that he is not drawing attention to the fact that he is the brother of Jesus. Uh, this, is, this is the Jude who would have been um, among those siblings of Jesus who did not first believe that Jesus was Messiah. When you go over to John uh, chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, it says, So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to uh, Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. I mean, so some were saying, Go show yourselves. They didn't believe him. That's that's the point of John chapter 7. That's coming out of the English Standard Version. They did not believe in him. Uh, and then at one point over in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 and 47, Jesus had been teaching and his mom shows up bringing his siblings to along with her uh, and they waited outside the place for his teaching, and they wanted to bring him home. It says this, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his brother and uh, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. And, and basically, they wanted to say that you're out of your mind. It tells us in, in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, it says, when his family heard these things, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he was out of his mind. Now, I, I share all these things about Jesus to point out the fact that, uh, that Jude was one of those early naysayers. He was one of those early ones to say, look, we don't think that Jesus is uh, right in the head. Uh, that's what they were saying. But he would yet nonetheless come around and uh, end up giving his life to Christ and end up being a follower, being used, uh, and uh, would then go on to write this particular letter that we will be looking at here today. Now, going on a little bit more about him, uh, it is notable that he was not 
one of the 12 apostles, but he was a leader in the early church. Uh, his letter that we'll be looking at begins with a very deep concern about believers abandoning, abandoning the faith and turning to false teachers. Uh, his manner of addressing those who were called, loved by God the Father and kept in Jesus Christ as kind and loving, yet he is very, very, very direct uh, and unapologetic in addressing the wickedness of false teachers. He speaks easily of Jesus as one he knew intimately. It's also noteworthy that Jude credits Jesus with saving his people from Egypt, verse 5. Although at that time Jesus had not yet been revealed, uh, it may have been that after his conversion, Jude recalled the stories and claims of his older brother during their growing up years that he had discounted at the time. But at some point, the eyes of his heart were open. He began to see Jesus in a completely different light and had insights and knowledge really not available to anyone else. Uh, both, both teach, both Jude and James teach with a sense of familiarity with Jesus, uh, but not with a sense that is sufficient to save us. Uh, then they end up going on and explaining the way of Jesus in their writings. Uh, they lived in the same household with Jesus for, for years. Yet they did not believe in him. I mean, to live with Jesus and to not believe in him, I mean, that gives us hope for people around us that don't believe. I mean, they they grew up with Jesus, and it took them a long time into their adult years. I mean, they, they, they were probably well along into their 20s before, uh, and we would say probably their 20s, before they actually came to faith in Christ. You know, uh, Cultural Christianity places people in proximity to truth, but many have not allowed truth to redefine their lives. And that's it's one of the places where we are and the things that we're teaching today. Will we allow the truth of God's word to define our lives? Or do we want to go away and say, I know better. I think better. This stuff makes me angry. This stuff makes me mad. As the stuff that we've been teaching on Sunday mornings uh, directly out of the text of Scripture and what it has to say to us. And uh, it, it it is so culturally foreign that that it could drive us away. But what, what we need to do is be driven to our knees, be driven to surrender, be driven to, okay, God, I'm going to uh, accept your truth and um, I'm going to uh, surrender myself to your truth uh, even though it really goes against culture. Um, cultural Christianity, and that's kind of what we have. It, it's it's a consumeristic Christianity, a Christianity that, well, as long as I like it, I'm good with it, but don't say something offensive or I might just leave. Well, I, you know what? I think Jesus might actually say, don't let the dough hit you on the way out. Now, some would say, Pastor, now that you, you need to be nice. Well, wait a minute. You go to John chapter 6. Jesus didn't go chasing after people when they turned away from him. He said hard things. People turned their backs on him, went running the other way, and he didn't go chasing. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I didn't mean let, let me soften it a little bit for you. No, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus held his ground. Those that were going to follow, those who were convinced, John chapter 6, I'll take us there, I think, before we actually jump in here to Jude uh, as kind of a setup into the book of Jude. 
because Jude is confronting this this type of cultural uh, Christianity that uh, that was present and evident in his day, and telling the, his listeners, uh, his readers, to beware of cultural Christianity. So let me take us back to John, and then we'll we'll work our way down here into Jude. But John chapter six, because I want you to see what is going on here now. When you look at some of the uh, headings, we see sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and it, it goes on down through here. The, the very uh, the first several verses talk about the feeding of the 5,000. And we know that they were just counting the men at that point. At least that is the, even if they were counting people generally, it looks like there's about 5,000 people. Even if they were doing that. Um, and not dividing between men and women and children and just counting everybody. Still, 5,000 is a notable number of people to to feed on a dime. I mean, try to feed 100 people, you know, in, in a moment's notice when, you know, you haven't gone grocery shopping, you haven't planned for it, and uh, all of a sudden there's there's a bunch of people to feed, and Jesus made sure that the people got fed. Verse 5 says, when, when Jesus looked up, saw the crowd coming, he said, uh, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And it says he asked us only to test Philip. Um, for he already had in mind what he's going to do. And Philip answered, eight months wages would not be enough to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now there's disciples, uh, Andrew, Simon's brother spoke up. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Not very far. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated, and they ate as much as they wanted. Now, I, I added a few words there because that's the meaning. He did the same with the fish. And when, when they had enough to eat... He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets. So just, just picture like a laundry basket size or probably bigger, a large laundry basket uh, with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now, there's, there's something about this that God can provide. Uh, God can take a little and, and make much with it. Because that's exactly what happened. I mean, they they ended up with more than they started with. Uh, they started with, you know, the five loaves, the few small fishes. And, and after everyone had eaten, they collected even more. There, there's a lesson in this. There's a lesson in God's resources. That when we do God's work in God's way, it never lacks God's supply. In fact, God can take the the little, and as Jesus took the little with with the five uh, loaves and a couple small fish, and not only did he take care of the entirety of the ministry need of the moment, uh, they had resources left over at the end of the day. And for us to have that type of belief, that type of faith, that type of work that when, when when we are trusting in God and giving the little bit that we have to God for gospel purposes, it goes a very, very, very long way. Now, all of this, 
goes on is verse 14, it says, and I'm in John chapter 6, kind of setting us up for the book of Jude. So they gathered them, filled the baskets, verse 13, with the, with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten them. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Well, he was far more than the prophet. He was the Savior. He, he is the Savior. He is the Son of God. Verse 15 says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Boy, does that not sound nice, getting to the mountains. This has been a busy, busy, busy summer. Not time for the mountains this summer. Uh, here next week, we'll be in the mountains out in uh, Montana. Uh, it'll be a good time. So uh, verse 16, Jesus walked in the water. Then you come down to verse 22. He calls himself the bread of life, and he teaches. We, we, we just read on down through there. Uh, and we get down to, after Jesus' teaching, down to verse 41, it says, At this, some Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Likening, likening himself to the manna that came down from heaven in the days of Moses. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? And Jesus said, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. Now, there is an evangelism verse that we need to know. That evangelism, that conversion is a work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot make people come to faith in Christ. We can't, we can't argue them in. We can't apologize them in. We can't give them food and coffee to get them in. We can't make the music sound right to get them in. No one comes to the Father unless the Father, and no one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent Jesus draws him. That is in verse 44. And so it's uh, it's important that we understand the, the work of the Spirit in the life of our unbelieving friends, that we would ask the Lord to, uh, to open their hearts, to draw them uh, to faith in Christ. The, our, our prayers are important. He goes on and says this in verse 45, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Uh, everyone who listens to the Father and learns, learns from him will come to me. He says, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father, and Jesus is speaking of himself. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. And So the question for us is, have we believed in Jesus? If you're listening anytime, whenever it might be, whether it's during the live hour on Monday morning, the 22nd of August, or if you're listening on Thursday afternoon, 25th of August, I think I have my dates right. Whenever it is that you're listening, here's the question. Have you believed? Verse 47, I tell you the truth, he or she, the person who believes in Jesus, who believes he is the Savior, believes that he was uh, born, walked this earth, ministered, was crucified, dead, was buried dead, 
was resurrected alive, showed, showed himself to many, many people uh, over the period of 40 days, ascended to heaven, and is coming again. If you believe in this Jesus, and if you entrust yourself to him, you have everlasting life. This is what it says in verse 47, and I would encourage you, I would plead with you, I would beg with you that if the Spirit is prompting your heart to believe in Jesus, that even now you would do that, that you might have everlasting life. Jesus goes on in verse 48, and he says this, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. He is calling himself the bread of life. The verse continues. Let me move the text up. Um, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. At this, the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How could he give us his flesh to eat? I mean, they're, they're thinking like cannibalistically. Jesus said to them, to tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, now, what do you mean? He goes on and says, for my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, remains in me, and I in him. Now, some people will say, what is this talking about? I mean, do you Christians have, like, blood, drink, and meat that you eat in your worship service? No, what he's saying is this. Unless you believe in who I am, unless you participate with me in my priorities, unless you you take upon me your uh, take upon you my character, then then you don't have life. When you willingly surrender to who I say that I am, when you willingly go along with my purposes and with my priorities, when you allow my my image, my likeness, my character to be impressed upon your character, now you have place with me. That, that is what he means. So when we take communion, it, it's us saying, I partake with Jesus. I participate with Jesus. I identify with the flesh, the body, and the blood, the cup of Jesus in his ways, in his priorities, in his initiatives, in his gospel truth that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and by taking communion, the reminder, the bread is the reminder of his body, the cup is the reminder of his blood. When we take these things, we're saying, I participate with Jesus, and that is exactly what he is saying here. Now, you get down to verse 60. Let me, let, let me move us down to verse 60. I want us to see this. He says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, does this offend you? But if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. We need to pray that the Father enable people to come to faith in Jesus. Verse 66. Look at this verse. 
From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Verse 66b, and Jesus began chasing after them. You don't see that in the text, do you? You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. And he meant Judas, the other Judas, not this Jude that we'll be studying, but Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. In other words, Judas Iscariot, though one of the twelve was later to betray him. But look at 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and followed him. What I'm driving at, what I'm really getting at here is the fact that in our day, um, we we want to soften it. We want to lighten it. We want to make it palatable. Uh, we want to make the gospel winsome. The gospel is winsome when you understand the gospel, when you understand that Christ brings us from death to life. The gospel is winsome. When you understand that uh, that Christ forgives us of our sins and cleanses us and makes us a new creation, the gospel is winsome. When you understand that the God of all heaven offers to walk with you day in and day out to never leave you, to never forsake you, the gospel is winsome. But what we want to do is we want to make it winsome by not talking about the body and the blood of Jesus. We want to make it winsome by by giving everybody the music of their preference we we we, we want to make it winsome in in so many ways but friends we need to come back to the heart of the gospel and this is what jude will advocate for in his letter when we get back over into the book of jude he is advocating for people to not chase after all these errant ways there's a church popular church actually with a popular pastor that for baptism, they had to create a water slide to make it more exciting. You know, to me, okay, that's cool, that's hip, that's, I wouldn't do that because if the act of dunking someone into the water uh, to, to demonstrate the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, dying with Christ, being raised up with Christ isn't enough. If that isn't enough to make it exciting, then friends, we're missing the point. And those are the types of things that, uh, uh, that Jude is going to come up against in his letter in the book of Jude. Now, all I've given us this morning is really the elementary. I've given us the introductory uh, aspects of the book of Jude. We, we really haven't gone very far with it here, uh, really at all, uh, just, just very, very introductory. Uh, and, and I know I'm pressing against some stuff. I, I, I know that I am. And hey, I, I would love to have a church full of people all the time in a church overflowing. I'd love to have two or three or four or five worship services, but not at the expense of truth. Our name is veracity stands for truth. Here it is right up in the corner. Veracity chapel. Veracity means conforming to truth and God's word is truth. We believe it's truth and, and, and we're not going to change it because culture says, well, you need to change it. You need to be more, sexually open to all of the craziness that is out there. You need to be more, no, we're going to hold on to God's truth. And there's science behind our truth, just for the record. Um, 
This doesn't mean that we have to be nasty. It doesn't mean that we have to be ugly. It doesn't mean that we have to be unkind. It doesn't mean that we need to be unloving. If I didn't say that word yet, we we can be all those things to people who take a different view than we take. But we also need to be burdened with the fact that if if they have not believed in Jesus uh, and they've not repented of their sins, uh, they've not placed faith in Jesus, they are destined to an eternity separate from God. That's what the Bible teaches. We can either create our own man-made religion that says something different than the Bible, or we can hold on to the Bible. And uh, I'm choosing to hold on to the Bible. Now, again, all of this is very introductory to the book of uh, to the book of Jude. We we in fact, I don't think we even read the first verse in the book of Jude uh, because I didn't need to necessarily, but. We will say this, and, and let me let me take us there just to kind of kick us off verse 1 and 2. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, we did look at that part. He did acknowledge that he is the brother uh, of James, and yet neither one of them talk about the fact and fortify or underscore the fact that they are uh, relatives of Jesus, brothers of Jesus. They don't talk about that. and. And they keep the family line. They keep their pedigree out of it. Uh, they're just servants of Jesus and that we would be just servants of Jesus. It says, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, two things, three things, called. Has God called you? The idea he's, if you can hear that, if he's tapping on the door of your heart, He's trying to draw you into faith in Christ. Have you responded? He is calling you. You're listening to this. God is perhaps calling you to surrender your life to Christ, to acknowledge that Jesus is God, that he is Savior, that he is Lord, and that you place your faith in him. Called, number one. Number two, that you are. Uh, that you are loved by God the Father. Just a fact to think about that you are loved by God. Um, what, what greater love than the love of the one who made the starry hosts and the flowering fields and the roaring oceans? This God loves you. You are loved by God the Father called. God is wanting you. He is drawing you. He is calling. You are loved by God the Father. And to think of the God of all eternity, to think of the God of all creation loving you, you are loved by God. And today when you don't feel that love, to just go back to this verse. You can go back to Jude 1, 1 and 2, or verses 1 and 2, because there's only one chapter, but Jude 1 and Jude 1, 2 to be reminded of being called by God, to, to be reminded of being loved by God the Father. And the third piece in this that we read, kept by Jesus Christ, that Christ keeps you unto the day of salvation. You know, some people think you fall into salvation, you fall out of salvation. You, you're saved one moment, you think a bad thought, now you're not saved. Doesn't work like that, folks. 
It isn't you who saves you by your works. It isn't you who saves yourself by your sinlessness. It is God who saves you through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And what you need and what I need is to place faith in that Christ. And then we have salvation. Kept by God. Jesus keeps you. Jesus is working on you. Jesus is forming you. Jesus is turning you into the person that he wants you to be. Jude 1 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And you might say this, put your name in there. I, I could say James, a servant of Jesus Christ and a child of God. I, I could say that. Um, I am called by God. I am loved by God. I am kept by Jesus Christ that, that you would hold on to that truth in your life. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Uh, this is the truth. And this is where I'm going to land today. I'm going to land on verse 2. I'm going to stop on verse 2 because it is, it is a prayer. Uh, it is a greeting. It is a word given to the readers. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. And friends, today as you think about the calling of God, you think about the love of God, you think of the, the keeping of Jesus, how Jesus keeps your soul until the day of eternity. May you today, in light of those truths, have his mercy, have his peace, and have his love. In abundance. That's our prayer. Have a great day. I will see you tomorrow.